This is Stephen McIver from Sky Sport New Zealand. You know New Zealand? You know the seventh state or sixth state of Australia? You're listening to White Line Fever with the great. Well, he's not so great. He's got a. Actually, no, he's all right. It's Steve Mascord, who apparently likes Kiss, likes ACDC, and even Van Halen. So that's not such a bad thing because I like my glam rock too. So here it is White Line Fever. Welcome to episode 28 of White Line Fever, and we're back in what has now become our home, uh, a dingy corner of the Erskineville Hotel. And I'm here with uh, Nick Tedeschi again. How are you, Nick? Very well, Steve. Yourself? It's uh, it's uh, good to be back here at the Erco late on a Monday evening. It is. Um, most uh, media organisations focus on Origin. Uh, we just basically did nothing while Origin was on. Uh, we're back at club football, which is what we live for. But um, what did you think of Origin? It's never. It's it was a great game. Game three, 21 uh, 20. Queensland over New South Wales, but um, it's all about the theatre surrounding Origin rather than the game. No matter how good the game is, we're all fascinated with the theatre surrounding it. Absolutely, there's always a letdown. No matter how good you say, no matter how good the game is, there's always a letdown, and you always find fault with something. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, you always want to find a scapegoat, find someone to blame, find someone to, <laughs> you know, some, someone to elevate into legend status. It's, it's not really rugby league. It is, but it's not. So it's, uh, I thought Origin was a good game. It was usually probably closer than they deserved. It was a nice comeback. I thought they were done and dusted there, but uh, a few little tweaks New South Wales began next year, but if Mitchell Pearce is uh, playing Origin again, I'll make my hat. Like, it's awful. And uh, what sort of hat do you, do you normally wear? Like just a, like a baseball cap, or would you eat like a sort of slash style leather top hat what the, how big a hat would you eat look I would go uh, Hunter Thompson mid 1960s Panama kind of <laughs> you know, Puerto Rican days that's how big I'd go <laughs> you weren't impressed then uh, I, I don't know how a halfback in a, in a must do origin game after getting two games of uh, uh, whack for uh, not putting in creatively can run the ball three times yeah and, and, and then not find the turf once yeah, Greg Inglis has been playing well at Fort for South. But Origin's a different kettle of fish, and uh, he would have thought he could have found the paddock more than, uh, more than once, but he, he couldn't do it. And uh, they got a look at Jamie South, Peter Ball, so even the young Souths play Adam Reynolds. I, I, like, I agree that New South Wales are very close and might win next year, but I had this just one problem with it all, and that's why I just don't care enough. Like, like, I actually enjoyed it as a spectacle. I didn't really care who won. So to me, it's quite an academic thing. New South Wales getting closer I, again like and I, it really stuns me when I I'm in Queensland and you get people who like work in the media professionally and they'll say it's great to be a, they'll say something cliched like it's great to be a Queenslander or, you know four days later it's like it just seems strikes me as being very unusual but and unfathomable but now that's I'm the odd one out there I'm the weirdo yeah, I don't disagree with you, Steve. Like, I, I, I certainly feel much more of an allegiance, much more passion for my club than uh, mm. the state. It seems to be completely different up uh, north of the border. But look, for, for mine, everyone feels this deep burning passion for it on the night, like, you know, outrage, up in arms. But then 20 minutes later, you buy the next round of beers and you don't actually <laughs> care. Whereas, you know, your team loses your grand final. You, you know, you go into a depressed funk for a couple of weeks. Rugby league's over for a, a long period of time, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you buy like one round of waters, and then you buy the next round of beer. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly right. It's, uh, and then you're uh, you're back on song. But I, I just, uh, like I say, it's the theatre of origin. It just adds something to the mid-season when it's all going through a bit of a, a funk that other sports don't have. But look, it'd be great to see New South Wales win. But to be honest, people who saw St George go fifty-six to sixty-six go, well, you never see that again. 
we're never going to see this again. And to witness history like this is uh, pretty amazing. So it is. Now, now it was a big day in on Monday, a big day for press conferences in rugby league. I would say the biggest day of the year, leaving outside. David Gallup probably blew. You could have seven press conferences in a day, and it'd be hard to match that one press conference. But um, Sonny Bill Williams returning to. Japanese Rugby Union or something and he's, it was amazing he said I've, I, you know, he, he told the Kiwi journalists, look, I, basically I'd like to stay in Rugby Union in New Zealand but I've got a handshake agreement, you know, so I'm going to have to go to Rugby League and with all due respect it did surprise a few people given who it was coming from, that statement. You know? <laughs> well, he's, he's always been a man known for uh, upholding agreements, Sonny Bill Williams. You wouldn't, uh, you know, handshake agreement from two years ago, of course we'll hold up with a five-year contract uh, put on paper uh, doesn't hold up so well. And allegedly Coda Nasser has said they don't want to contribute to Canterbury's coffers by having Sonny Bill play against Canterbury in round one. So Sonny Bill's allegedly not going to play for the Roosters against Canterbury, so at a Canterbury home game. I mean, not only is he going to do boxing and play the off-season in rugby union, but he's also going to pick and choose who he plays against. Uh, the Sydney Roosters are, are, are going to get an absolute caning next year and they're going to deserve every bit, already with a fractured culture, uh, to have Sonny Bill Williams be able to come in in January, not do the full pre-season, to be able to pick and choose the matches in. Well, I, I'd like to just uh, ask Sonny Bill Williams, what did Canterbury ever do to him for him to, to not want to contribute to Canterbury's coffers after he's <laughs> spat in their face and walked out for five years? I, I hope... Uh, you, don't, you don't want to wish uh, people in the game too much misfortune, but he deserves every bad thing that happens here. And I, I, the, the roosters that are, are going to cop it, I, I, just, I, I don't understand why you'd bother clearing the decks for 12 months or two years or whatever they're going to get for him. If he keeps signing uh, 12-month contracts, I suppose, then he can still play off-season in uh, Rugby Union. But um, now the other press conference was Luke Lewis, and, uh, we'll, and we're actually going to do a something technical here. We're going to play a little bit of Luke Lewis's uh, press conference today, and then we'll come back and talk about it briefly. Thanks, Gus. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit uh, me. Um, first of all, I just want to uh, personally thank all the fans that have, that have given me everything over the last 11 years. Um, if I were for them, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today, so well, thank you very much. Uh, I just want to say that uh, also to the uh, Penrith Club, um, you know, they uh, all started me off here in uh, under-11 development squad, bring me through the ranks, they got me into first grade, and um, I owe you know, everything to them, but uh, like Gus said, I, I think I do need to move on and uh, start a new challenge, and look, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well, and I'm a little bit rattled, <laughs> but um, also to all the boys I've been playing with, I've uh, enjoyed Every minute with all the players that have played with over my career through through the club, made a lot of great friends and a bunch of blokes that have got me now are 100% behind me uh, with everything I've uh, decided to do here and I can't wait to uh, play the next eight games with them, uh, finish on the, the best night I can possibly finish on and uh, thank everyone that's uh, supported me um, on the last game at, uh, at Penrith Park. So um, I'll thank you everyone for coming out and um, showing interest in what's happened today but uh, I just want to leave it at that and... Um, Hopefully, uh, in the future, um, I might be able to get back here with a job or, or helping out in development or something like that. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, thank you. Okay, so that was Luke Lewis. Now, there's a number of uh, conundrums. Well, I don't know what is uh, the plural of conundrum. Is it conundra? Conundria? <laughs> Conundri? Uh, but um, he says he wants a new challenge. Uh, but he, then he doesn't know where he's going to get this new challenge. Um, it's absolutely bizarre. 
It was more than just a new challenge. He, he, he said in the press conference, he wants, wants a new life. He wants a new start to life, which was upsetting. Like, oh, of all the hap- happenings... I mean, we've never... Well, I was going to say, we've never lived in Penrith, so, we, you know, we don't really... We have no comprehension of where he's coming from. But that's very, very... It's just snotty, so I'm not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to make any kind of calls on the geography of, uh, of, uh, of Western Sydney. He was, uh, I think, a Blacktown boy to start off with, and... Uh, um, I, I believe he didn't want to move to South a few years ago because it was too far away from his uh, from his mum. But uh, oh look, of all the happenings at Penrith this year, the Michael Jennings fiasco, uh, Lachlan Coote in trouble, you know, constant chopping and changing, talks of a clean out, crisis meetings. I, even Luke Lewis losing the captaincy. The last thing I thought you would have seen was their last remaining Premiership player from the 03 Grand Final leaving the club with two years left on his deal. I beloved champion. When you think of the all-time great Panthers, you think Roy Simmons, Greg Alexander, Craig Gower, yeah, Steve Carter maybe, mm-hmm. Penguin Graham Bradley. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course he's up there and, he's, and to, to leave and to be asked for a release and be granted it so quickly, well, what's behind that, Steve? What, what could possibly... Well, there's, there's two things, right? There's basically, the truth is probably somewhere in between these two extremes. One, he overreacted to being robbed of the captaincy, right? Uh, and uh, he's, he spat the dummy uh, and is unhappy, feels unwanted. Right, that's one extreme. The other extreme is that uh, he's being paid too much money, uh, according to the club. The club doesn't believe they're going to win a premiership uh, during the next two years, and so they just uh, feel that he's, he's, he's wasting too much cap space they could spend on younger players, so they knew he'd be offended by being stripped of the captaincy, and therefore, like any employer that's trying to force an employee out, have basically deliberately made life tough for him. They're the two extremes. The truth, and everyone thinks that there's a big conspiracy, there's one basic giant fact that's missing from this story. Maybe that's true. But maybe the truth is just somewhere between those two extremes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's, there's no question that Penrith are, are trying to bottom out. They're trying to uh, uh, you know, essentially start again. Uh, Ivan Cleary is brought in to bring a broom, uh, put a broom through the club so it's still good. Uh, but there's also the element outside of outside of the football. Like you say, Penrith won't win a premiership in the next two years. Luke Lewis is still only uh, what is he? 28, 29, I think. You know, he's probably got four or five years left in him. And, and and it really reflects poorly on a club that they would drive a club champion out like that. Like mm. good clubs don't do that. Even Parramatta in their darkest days didn't try to drive Nathan Hindmarsh out mm. uh, to to clean up shops. So oh, I'd, I'd find it. This is a PR nightmare for Penrith. I, I really don't know where to go, where they go from this. And they reported they had five players on, on yeah, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollar plus contract. But yeah, I would have thought they would have got rid of Michael Jennings or Lachlan Clute well before they got rid of Lock, uh, Luke Lewis. Yeah, well, they did try to get rid of Michael Jennings. He was offered around to other clubs. Okay, end of the first segment. Uh, the first plug is uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash stevemascot.com. No dot. There's just the one dot. Well, the dot after www and the dot after Facebook but no dot in stevemascord.com. And here's the first song, and uh, this is definitely right up uh, our alley. It's new. It's awesome, actually. It's a great song. New Kiss uh, song called uh, Hello Hallelujah, and we'll be back after this.
This is Martorian from the Bullet Boys, and you're listening to White Line Fever right here, baby. Let's just do this. Okay, welcome back to the program, and uh, we're now talking about Friday night games on both sides of the planet. Um, just this planet for this week. Uh, Canterbury 32, West Tigers uh, 20 now. Nick uh, Tedeschi, you went to this game. It seemed to annoy a lot of people because they'd just seen Origin and there were so many errors. Um, but but I actually, I, I found it reasonably entertaining. Yeah, look, it was it was one of those uh, crappy, entertaining games. The standard of football was dreadful. If you, uh, you copied any of that from your teams in the finals game, you'd be very upset. And, uh, some of the, it was just a very loose game of football, but look, it was it was entertaining enough. It was uh, it went down to the wire. The 12-point margin probably belied the, the closest of the match. Uh, and there was some, there was some brilliance in there. Ben Barber is probably favourite for the Dalian medal right now. He was sensational. And uh, uh, Josh Reynolds played really well for the, the Dogs. Josh Josh Morris, he got dropped last year. How good is he going? Absolute treat. But the big issues to come out of the game uh, revolved around Lottie Tikiri, the, 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 the shocking broken arm, and, of course, the, uh, the X-ray after the uh, uh, shown on Channel 9. Your thoughts on... Uh... Yeah, well, this is symptomatic of the biggest problem in rugby league, I think, it's an organisation. It's a cultural problem. Is that everyone just tries to sneak things through? The, 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 when the media are interacting with uh, players, or players are interacting with the NRL, or the coaches are interacting with their, um, the NRL uh, clubs with uh, with representative teams, it's all like, let's just sneak things through. Let's not have rules because we'll all get more out of it if we take it case by case. And so, um, apparently, West Tigers are very upset that the X-rays of Lottie Takiri, which showed a clear break, was shown on uh, Channel 9. Now, I was in Byron Bay watching the game on television. I don't get to watch many games on TV, and I was super impressed with Channel 9. I mean, we're all easy to be critical of Channel 9, but I thought it was sensational television. Um, But the question is, um, maybe, maybe it's right. Maybe the viewer does get more if they don't have rules, if they just kind of try to get away with things here and there and apologise later. But I don't think that's the way to go forward for the game. So, you know, if if there's cameras in the TV... If, sorry, if there's TV cameras in the dressing room, then basically we need to know, you know, everyone should know what they can expect to see. And from the club's point of view, um, they're happy now to, to plaster the dressing room's sponsorship, um, you know, and get cash for the dressing room uh, cameras and yet when the dressing room cameras show something uh, that they don't like uh, which is a, a fact it's not there's not it didn't it misrepresent the situation there was an x-ray there with a broken arm so then they blow up um, I, you know I think it's a little bit hypocritical of the clubs we don't expect to see players showering on television but that's because the rules of television <laughs> um, but aside from that um, you know Brent Tate crying um, the cameras are in there they're either, you know, I don't know whether they need to have time frames when you're allowed to uh, show the stuff, but I think if you put, basically if you tell the TV stations you can only show the boys 
warming up, then I think the TV stations would lose interest. And that's not the way we're going. The way we're going is to more access and making the public feel more, more a part of uh, the event. So, again, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I can see both sides of the argument. I do appreciate what West Tigers are saying, but I think they're wrong. Uh, you know, I think uh, it was great TV. Uh, it didn't hurt anyone uh, at all. And uh, they've got no... And really, if they have a, a deep... Take a deep breath, they've got no reason to be upset. Absolutely. Look, it's, uh, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of game relevance. A matter of relevance and a matter of interest. Is this relevant to the game? Player showering? Of course it's not relevant to the game. Yeah. A guy walking around when he gets sin bin. They've got no dramas with them saying that. He attended the bin, they show him in the dressing room standing by himself. It's good TV. Brent Tate crying. It's good TV. The extra up there. It's good TV. Like you said, didn't represent anything. It's a matter of fact. They show pre-game speeches involving, you know, talking tactics in, the, in NBA games. Coaches addressing players. It's a short-term thinking. That it's part of a bigger cultural problem, like you say. It's it's that short-term thinking that holds rugby back constantly. We should be embracing this kind of thing, and uh, and I'm I'm loath to give Channel Nine a a, a a rap, and this is probably the best thing they did since uh, bring Steve Mascot on the Sunday Footy Show. But uh, <laughs> uh, look, it was uh, it was. I, good. I did buy this jug of uh, beer. That's why. <laughs> You did. Uh, it, it was good television, and I'd like to see more access to, to players and more access to, to footage. That's compelling viewing. Um, there was another game on Friday night in uh, Super League. It was uh, Leeds 21, Hull, K- Hull sorry, 6, and apparently Jamie Peacock played very well after stepping down mid-series. Um, England uh, didn't benefit from his decision to uh, step down because they lost the, uh, last, um, the last game to the Exiles, which, as I said... Uh, Assembling a team and then having it beat you, uh, it's like putting that in the paper highlighting your personality flaws <laughs> or your dr- poor driving record or you know something like that. It's like advertising your own shortcomings, but um, that's the way it uh, worked out. Now, um, we'll uh, after this break, after this song, we'll come back with the final part of the Nick Barker interview. Saw Nick Barker down in Wollongong, he was wonderful. Here's an old Nick Barker and Reptiles song from back in the day. It's called uh, Show You the Scar. So, after this, Nick Barker, we'll have a couple of drinks and then we'll be back to talk about the rest of the weekend.
good, you did what you should But I know that's nothing new And where you are, you won't get far I know that's gotta be true Still a real need walk down my street But I'm gonna step behind you Hey, what's up? This is Scott Ian. This is Rob Caggiano of Anthrax, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Okay, we're back uh, with Nick Barker for the last time. Thanks for being on the program the last couple of weeks. Now, I wanted to ask you about the set list for these uh, reptile shows that are coming up. Um, is it pretty much the same as 1989, or is it different? It's not the same as 1989, because it's got songs off after the show, which came out in 91, so <laughs> we'll split the difference. I mean, I, I guess we just, I just picked out the songs which work best live. Some songs just don't play good, they never did, mm-hmm. and they don't now, which is strange. It's mm-hmm. a weird thing about songs that don't... Some things just don't play good. They mm-hmm. just don't translate. And mm-hmm. So we've kind of just picked out the ones that were the, were the best. We've just gone the boogie, you know. Mm-hmm. We've gone the 12-bar. <laughs> Anything that's got a, that had a 12-bar base to it, we've pretty much snapped up, you know. And it's funny because we... As a matter of course, because we're all 20, 20 years older and a lot less drunk than we were, we play things a lot slower, mm. and it's kind of how they were probably meant to be played, you know, because then we just played everything flat out, mm. you know, balls to the wall as fast as we could, and things have got a bit more of a grind to them now, but they're a bit stonesier, so a lot, some songs have really come up trumps, but we've sort of, um, yeah, we've just tried to put a cross-section of the songs that I think people want to hear in there, and and for ourselves as well. How is Gig Night different to what it was in 1991? We don't drink uh, a slab of beer and a bottle of vodka, which we used to as a matter of course. <laughs> that was pretty much three of us. <laughs> we just kind of... We used to be, you know, reptiles would get to the gig at least an hour before and just start power drinking. And then, mm. you know, not that I'm advocating that sort of behaviour, but we really were a hard-drinking rock and roll band, you know. I don't know whether it's... Um, Look, you know, we were sick boys too, believe me. You know, we, we, we weren't well during the day when we were travelling and stuff. So, like, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, there wasn't healthy times, believe me. But we did used to drink a lot of piss, but we don't now. And it's, um, still have, you know, we have a couple of beers, but you just, you know, it's a different dynamic. As I said, we just sort of lean back into it a little bit. And it's kind of, I think that the, the music's, uh, has, uh, benefited a lot <laughs> from that you know and I just don't talk so much crap as I used to in between songs my godfather and um any temptation to have solo songs in the set yeah I put my foot down on that you know because I mean I, I get a lot of the stuff that I've done one of the things that I like about doing reptiles most is we can play loud mm-hmm. you know I can get my quad box out and get my martial head out and I can turn it up and you can go for it because I mean over the years I've done same so many gigs and so much solo work, like all over Europe playing solo and a lot of Australian, a lot of just doing solo shows to earn a living, you know. Mm-hmm. And so many gigs now are in kind of semi-type restaurant-type environments even. You've just got to turn down, turn down, turn down. So mm-hmm. reptiles are like, don't even bother telling us to because we're not going to. So mm-hmm. I just really wanted to emphasise that part of the band, you know. There's no point. I don't want to do any soft solo ballady stuff because mm-hmm. I've done enough of that. And the boys don't want it either. So, so you said you put your foot down. You put your foot down against doing it. 
is that against doing solo stuff? No, yeah, 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 we just want to. We just want to have a hit, and that's all there is to it. Not even time bomb. You weren't even tempted to do time. Oh, you mean solo? Oh no, no. no. no I don't mean. I don't mean solos like. Uh, oh, as in yeah, as in. As in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and no, I get you. I put it. No, we couldn't. I wouldn't even put time bomb in there. No, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. got to be reptiles. Yeah. Now, b- before we started, you were talking about football, and you were talking about how much you, you're not a fan of GWS. Would you like to vent on that? Oh, uh, you know, look. I don't know what the push has been like in Sydney, but down here it's just been a bit sickening, you know? Like, it's just putting those games on that are just such... War- I mean, we, we got... I don't know what... In Melbourne, there's, there's only very few games live free-to-air now. Mm. Channel 7 only run a handful of games on the weekend. They put a GWS v Collingwood game on, you know, and it's a 106-point blowout mm. when there's a blockbuster game, really great game of footy playing at the same time. And they're just doing... It's just a shameless trying to promote this thing and you know like spending three million dollars on a guy from from a rugby league code who's you know at best probably who knows you know i mean there's a guy here place for port melbourne who kicks six goals every week who you could probably pick up for 150 grand who <laughs> do you know what i mean mm-hmm. if you just chuck him in the four you know just i don't like the it smacks to me of something that footy's was never about you know mm-hmm. it's just this really kind of gross commercialization and push of you know putting Izzy Falau in there and look he's a superstar of rugby league but putting him in there just to kind of drag in fans mm-hmm. when there's guys playing in the VFL down here who are just phenomenal footballers who are 25 who are battle hardened yeah. but you know I just know that there's guys here who are battle hardened footballers playing in the VFL who you could throw in who would kick three goals in a game you know what mm-hmm. I mean and they, and they can't get a start and you know it's just and I'm a Swan supporter, you know, and I reckon <laughs> I don't think you need two AFL teams in Sydney, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, Nick, one more song and we're finished. It's quite time. Okay. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. I've been sweeping the leaves out of my driveway. I've been living a good life up till now But the basket weaving and therapy sessions Are barely enough to dampen obsessions, man I've been taking a cold bath on the L
watching the world from out my window And I've been doing like they told me up at the hospital I hold my breath and count to ten But the thoughts I'm having defy description Tell me where in the hell did I put my prescription Cause I've been having those strange dreams again Well I've been sweet and I've been good Tell you walked on home through my neighborhood Now I watch you Hi, this is Nick Barker, and you're on White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program. That was uh, Nick Barker with a song about a sort of certain type of frustration. But um, I've got to say, Nick Barker Reptiles back together. You get the chance to go and see them. Absolutely awesome. Much better uh, live than uh, you would remember them on record, and there's certainly a lot more to them than come up and see me make me smile. Now, we're moving on to Saturday's games in the NRL. There were no Saturday games in uh, Super League. And um, with... Canberra 40, Melbourne 12. I want to throw forward to Melbourne are also at home at 5.30, same time slot this Saturday, and they're playing North Queensland. But the entire game is a promotion for a movie, Dark Knight, and they're wearing a jersey. I haven't seen it, but they're wearing a jersey which basically promotes this movie. Now, at least, as you pointed out off-air, when uh, South did this with Cinderella Man, their owner was in that movie. Uh, This is a little bit different now. Should the surely I believe the NRL should introduce rules or guidelines about just selling your soul commercially an entire game to something that has no connection to the heritage or culture of the team? It's just purely a sellout. I mean, what do you think? Well, absolutely. Andrew Ryan, one of the great uh, Canterbury figures of the last, one of the great back rowers of the last decade. His final game was played in a Star Wars jersey, a star, a, a black Star Wars. Canterbury wore black. A Star Wars jersey. There were, uh, I think they call them stormtroopers on the sidelines. The, the cheerleaders are done up uh, uh, Princess Leia style. Yeah, utterly ridiculous. This is, this is how uh, one of the great, uh, great players of the last decade, it's farewell. Well, uh, Billy Slayton came himself lucky he's injured because he should never be remembered having to wear a dark night jersey. So <laughs> I've wanted a point. And uh, rugby league. Uh, should probably uh, look at uh, maintaining a bit of dignity 
for whoring itself out at every opportunity. Yeah, exactly, and hopefully under the commission that's going to happen. But the one thing I do like about the outfits they're wearing is the underpants on the outside. I think that's going to be very fetching. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing that, and maybe that will catch on, actually. It's one good thing that this endorsement could bring us in rugby league. Now, the second game on uh, Saturday was uh, the Warriors uh, 32, Gold Coast 14 at uh, Skill Park. Conrad Hurrell only needed uh, 55 minutes to score three tries. Uh, and he's a very shy young fellow, Conrad. Doesn't say very much. I'll play a little bit of audio uh, about him being confronted by a lot of journalists. And eventually his teammates, uh, they spotted this. Uh, and they came over. Felitti Mateo started filming it. Uh, also, Lewis Brown and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Sione Lucy also come over. And they were uh, making... Uh, uh, comments and asking questions. We'll play a little bit of the audio, uh, and then afterwards, uh, well, we'll play a bit of the audio. Oh, yeah, I had a little bit of uh, tear in my, in my hamstring last week, but yeah. Uh, big, big name, concrete. <laughs> Is that true? Big strong guy. Concrete. Come on, boys. I'm sweaty, I mean. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Nick, as a journalist, and it happens a lot when you're interviewing players, they kind of make a joke and they... Someone told me recently, I won't say who, that they were um, interviewing, in the middle of interviewing an assistant coach at Origin Time, and a, a prominent member of the Independent Commission come up and interrupted and decided he was just going to talk, start talking to this person and being, who was in the middle of being interviewed by journalists on deadline. Now, um, I don't. I think this was the right side of. Um, um, it was funny. It was funny. It was okay. There was no disrespect to, to journalists, really. But I think sometimes when players butt in, and I think it's funny to ask questions. Um, it is a little bit disrespectful because we've got jobs to do. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, yeah. You don't, you don't want to take the job too seriously and get uh, you know, too antsy, I guess, when it's done by a, a member of the Independent Commission who, who's just completely dismissing you. That's a different story to the likes of you know, Lewis Brown and Felitti Matteo uh, uh, razzing up uh, a young fellow who's just scored a hat-trick and is a little bit shy. But you, you do, as a journalist, want to be able to do your job. And this goes back to something we've talked about many times, uh, you know, access to players and, uh, uh, and players not just speaking in pure cliches and stuff. So... When you say so, hear some of this, there's, there's some good, they're opening up, you're seeing a bit more of their personality, but then there's the annoying part of, uh, you know, are, are you going over the top and, and, and not letting a journalist do their job? But Your thoughts on uh, those two games? It was an astounding scoreline in Melbourne, wasn't it? Look, I think the, the, the big thing to come out of that Storm game was people were going, oh, Cameron Smith, uh, no Billy, no Billy Slater, no Cameron Smith. But you've got to remember, the camera had you know, no Terry Campisi, no Brett White, no Josh Dugan, a host of players out. Uh, and I think the camera proved, as it did last year, that Melbourne are vulnerable down the middle. If you, you throw big forwards at, uh, down the Storm down the storm Centre, they are very, very vulnerable. And, uh, and, and combined with their kind of expo- expo- being able to exploit uh, care, uh, Melbourne's up and in defence, I think uh, I, I would I would not rate the Storm competition favourites after that. I think they, they might be set for another fade out if they get a, a team like Brisbane, the Warriors, Canberra again in the near future. Okay, um, that's far too tactical for me. I didn't understand any of that. But um, what about the Warriors? Because uh, I thought they were impressively ruthless on Saturday night uh, but they were unimpressed with their own performance uh, they might be deliberately playing things down the thing I can't get my head around is that 
they played on Saturday night on the Gold Coast, and then they're playing on Friday in Brisbane, and they go home in between because the players get apparently get homesick. It's astounding. Well, it's very sweet, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, look, uh, I'm a bit surprised they're going home, but uh, I'm not sure that the Warriors were as impressive. I, I tend to agree with kind of Brian McLean's assessment. They, they, were, they were down for a, a fair bit of that first half against the, a Titans team probably missing six, of their seven, six or seven of their best players. So Warriors won back-to-back games for only the second time this year, only the second win in Australia. Oh, there's plenty of upside to the Warriors, but I wouldn't be taking too much from that game. We're already uh, sort of burping after we're on our second jug of uh, Coopers, but uh, we're now going to. Uh, if what do you th- if you if you think Charline overstepped the mark uh, with uh, Lottie Takiri, or you think uh, that uh, we're being precious about being interrupted while doing interviews, or uh, you disagree with anything we've said, then go to whitelinefever.ning.com uh, and. Uh, Abuses, uh, and I can't wait to hear from you. Uh, yeah, just say anything you like. You can swear whatever you whatever you want. Now um, we're going to do um, album of the week, um, and I'm going to let Nick pick a song. It's very rude of me not to let him do it last time. But uh, album of the week last, I thought we'd sort of alternate and do an old record and then a new one. Um, two songs off uh, an album called American Dream by a band called Little Caesar. Guy's got one of the greatest voices, uh, Ron Young. So we'll play two songs off that, and we'll be back to talk about Sunday's games.
this is Michael Starr. This is Lexi Fox. And you're listening to White Lion Fever.
Okay, welcome back uh, to White Line Fever, and uh, a couple, there was a couple songs off uh, the new little Caesar album, which is called American Dream. Now, I hope you're enjoying the pub ambiance. Uh, that music in the background is, I think it's Stevie Wonder. Is it Stevie Wonder? I think it might be Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't confirm that. Now, I thought the two games on Sunday in the NRL highlighted uh, the vagaries of journalism in a way, because uh, the game uh, that was played at Brookvale Oval, Manly 40, Parramatta 24, there was an incident in, in this game where Steve Maddai complained that pressure had been applied to his neck and he said, I've got a bulging disc, don't touch my neck, if you touch my neck again, bro, if you touch my neck again, bro. And, and it wasn't widely reported because Parramatta was so terrible that there were just there were two obvious angles there. You know, there was basically uh, Manly let uh, they led 34-0 at halftime, and then they let Parramatta score 24 points in the second half. So there's that, and then there was how about a para? And so no one writes a third story. So therefore, the Matai incident really didn't get widely covered. Whereas South Sydney 34, Newcastle 14 was went as expected. Uh, but there were no obvious angles because Michael Maguire wouldn't talk about the possibility of them winning a competition. So, as a result, Kyle O'Donnell getting knocked out and play not being stopped was the story. But in fact, if you compare the two yarns, Matai was by far the most intriguing because when was the last time you saw a player make a reference to his own injury in complaining to a referee, like his own chronic injury in 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 in, in, in like getting involved in a, in a spat, in a verbal spat with an opposition player and to a referee. When did you ever hear... Can you imagine... And again, I'm not denigrating um, um, Steve Maddai because things have changed in rugby league, but um, Paul Gallon is obviously judged by different standards. If Paul Gallon goes, oh, you know, I've got a sore back or <laughs> whatever. I've got a hernia. Don't do that. You know, people would look at it very differently, wouldn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. But to, to be fair to uh, Nathan Hindmarsh, Steve Maddow does carry 107 injuries into every game and uh, and does does grasp at something you know, at least seven times a game. So uh, it'll be fair to have high marching. Look, people are different, measured by different standards. Uh, uh, but you once you once you cross that line, you are assumed to have a clean bill of health. That's just the way it is. That is exactly the line that uh, Matthew Rodwell said uh, on the ABC. He said, you know, once you cross the sideline, you're 100% fit and any weakness you have uh, can be exploited. So, again, it's a fascinating issue because... Uh, and get on whitelinefever.ning.com and tell us what you think. But I think it's a great talking point. And if, if uh, we didn't have what's happening with Sonny Bill, what's happening with Luke Lewis, what's happening with State of Origin, it would be the biggest story for days. Um, but that's that's what our job is. It's basically... Uh, it's opportunism, isn't it, really? It's, uh, it's down to a list of priorities and... Uh, what would be the biggest story one day? It doesn't even write a mention another day. Absolutely, look, you're 100 percent right about that, and uh, and also the fact that it was you know, one of the I guess the game's good guys, Nathan Hindmarsh, that was also involved in it. So, mm. uh, yeah, it takes the matter even, makes the matter even more compelling. Yeah, Nathan Hindmarsh has never been accused of I guess Paul Gallon style Anthony Le Frankie a few years ago. He's never been accused of you know, ruthlessly exploiting people's uh, players' weaknesses. Uh, so. Interesting yarn, but of course back to the Newcastle game. The, the big story is uh, Kyle O'Donnell going down, and uh, and Wayne Bennett calling for uh, the clock to be stopped with injuries. Not got a real issue with this. I'm all all for player welfare, but this is there's there's, no, there's absolutely no way that the referees can stop the game on every perceived injury when there is the constant laying down to win penalties and win advantage. It's going to require a total culture change in the NRL. 
for this to be accepted. Otherwise, referees have to have the discretion to, to allow play to continue because it's been proven time and time again that players will lay down, will fake injury, will stay down to win a penalty. And that's acceptable under the rules as, as is, but you can't just stop the clock every time. Otherwise, you'll see players laying down hurt, 10 metres out from the line, and clubs just made a big break. Yeah, 80 metres, on the, put the pressure on. Players will stay down. That's the way it is. So mm. players need to actively buy into a proper culture change before that we can stop the clock on every injury. Uh, very uh, point well made now. In uh, Super League, the big game that was... Uh, well, it wasn't a big game at all, but it was the most newsworthy game. Bradford 44, London 12. Now, Bradford, everyone... Uh, London can basically say they were beaten by a team of amateurs because <laughs> everyone at Bradford... Uh, well, no, the players are still hoping to get paid. But uh, uh, Mick Potter, uh, as we know, Bradford are in uh, uh, administration. And it's funny, though, I see the uh, administrator of Bradford, and I'm reminded of the same guy who was running North Sydney years ago. Um, when clubs go into receivership, you get these guys who are used to just walking in and shutting down accountancy firms or whatever, uh, supermarkets, and suddenly they come down, they come into a position where um, uh, they're people give a, a shit about what they say and so they become it goes to, it goes to administrators heads or I've seen in the past um, that they suddenly they are important people uh, they're high profile sports administrators and let's face it why do people do sports administration who are patently good enough to earn a lot more money elsewhere in the corporate sector they do it because they love the profile and uh, and and this uh, administrator his name escapes me but he's been speaking regularly uh, calling meetings apparently um, you know, he, he sent congratulatory texts to people after the game on Sunday, and and you know, allegedly when Bradford, if they don't meet their next deadline, uh, that they will cease to exist and they may not field the team next week. Um, but a lot of people, and we um, think of it as being dramatic and depressing. A lot of people will tell you, well, Bradford went through this in the 60s. Uh, and there are a lot of sporting teams in the UK that go through this. It's an all charade. There are always uh, parties. Um, um, being uh, um, uh, you know waiting in the wings for, for for these teams to be liquidated so they can take over and not uh, incur the debt. I thought the most bizarre thing. This is a uh, this is Queen with Flash, by the way. Oh. <laughs> wonderful. Oh. Um, <laughs> but the most bizarre thing I, I saw uh, was a uh, young James who shoots the official uh, um, uh, video for the RFL on, on YouTube actually interviewing this administrator and him bagging the RFL who were actually showing the video <laughs> saying oh, I don't know the RFL are putting out these uh, statements that there are uh, interested parties I haven't heard from any of these parties it's like and then this was appearing on the RFL's official uh, page and uh, anyway um, anything to add I mean obviously we don't want Bradford to follow nah look Bradford have been one of the powerhouses of uh, I guess the last decade and, uh, more, I guess my concern is that uh the English rugby league probably you know, they don't really attract the, the wealthy financiers uh, all over uh, all of the shot like all of the other sports so you just, you just hope the club can uh, battle through this period and you hope uh, a good fellow like Michael Potter can, uh, can get back on board and maybe take the club somewhere in the future but there's rumours Mick Potter may be back in Australia next year so. Yeah well I was saying after watching Parramatta there's talk that he would uh, join Parramatta's coaching staff under Stephen Kearney and 
personally, you know, I'd rather be coaching a broke club for nothing than being involved in Parramatta <laughs> at the moment. But um, other games at the weekend, and Phil Vivas to me, great fella. Uh, great to see him uh, have some success with Salford away, 24-22 over Hulk KR. Now, St Helens were trailing Widness at, uh, at Widness with a few minutes to go before winning 24-23. And apparently one of the goal kicks uh, during the game was one one uh, flag up, one flag down, like the old days. That's always a highlight, isn't it? You never forget the one flag up, one flag down. So, um, I mean, it's, it, it is startling that a team like Witness, I saw them beaten 66-6, the scoreline of the beast, earlier this year. Uh, for them to almost beat St Helens is, uh, it defies uh, logic and explanation, and I suppose that's either the sign of uh, a greatly improved team or a, um, a competition that where there's no consistency, you know, I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, but speaking of no consistency, Huddersfield, someone said they always come back from pre-season training unbeatable and they always finish the season eminently beatable. 52-6 um, to six to Castleford. Now, no, like, this is the Huddersfield team, you know, coached by Nathan Brown. That inflicted that 66-6 uh, result and looking like uh, they were going to challenge for the title. Um, now, the question is... I think if you did a graph of Huddersfield's results before Nathan Brown announced he was going to St Helens, um, I think it'll be like uh, well, it'll be like a plat. It'll be like Big Sur, basically. <laughs> the topography of Big Sur it would be. <laughs> now, b- neither of us have played um, uh, rugby league at the highest level, so we don't know. But I mean, especially in England, where the situation is there are haves and have-nots. If you're playing for a have-not. And you look like you're going to challenge the Habs, and then your coach announces he's going to one of the Habs next year. I mean, what impact does it have? Well, it's very, it's still much more over in England than it is over here. A class-based game, and there is you go to a have, you don't listen to the coach. You don't listen to the, the coach who's bailing out and going to the have because you go, well, you know, I'm still part of the have-nots, and and, yeah. and, and I'm not good enough for this. And, it, it, it essentially tells you I'm not good enough. It's funny that uh, uh, they say that uh, you know, the Huddersfield always jump out of the gates under Nathan Brown because George were renowned slow starters under Nathan Brown when he was out in Australia. So, uh, but to lose to Cass, when was the last time Cass won 50, put on 50 points? <laughs> like uh, a long, long time ago. So it's uh, um, it's astounding, <laughs> utterly astounding. And so. <laughs> I don't think Huddersfield will be challenging for the title anytime soon. But I think I think one of the great things shown this year, like you said, there, there are the haves and have-nots. There seems to be a lot more parity in the, in the Super League uh, over the last few years. You, you do see teams like St Helens dropping back into the pack a little bit and uh, uh, Huddersfield rising and the odd big victory by Cass and Catalan's going well. So it would uh, it, be nice to see someone outside of the, I guess, St Helens, Wigan, Leeds kind of... Powerhouses actually go on and, uh, and win something. Speaking of which, uh, Wigan fifty-two, Wakefield ten. So, you know, uh, maybe, maybe eventually. Uh, that's two fifty-twos. Look, look at some of those scores on the same day: a forty-four by Bradford, a fifty-two by Castleford, and a, sorry, Castleford. A correct local SBS pronunciation, and a fifty-two by Wigan. It's uh, it's a, it's a concern. Well, the Australian scores weren't any better. You look no, at no. Uh, forty by Manly and. Uh, and Souths put on 34, and, and, and yeah. big results all around. Plenty of scoring. Now uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter as well, WLF 
podcast with an at at the beginning. Now, this is, uh, I was, it's very rude to uh, take up so much of your time and not even let you play a song. So I'll let you play a song. And then after that, a blast from the past, but a new album from uh, Lita Ford, who was in The Runaways. And not that she's cashing in on her involvement in The Runaways by calling her new album Living Like a Runaway, <laughs> but, and, and not that this song actually sounds exactly like Run Baby Run by Cheryl Crow. <laughs> Um, but it's good uh, because it sounds like I actually like that song by Cheryl Crow. So a song, a song from you, and then uh, and then I'll be playing the title track off uh, "Living Like a Runaway" by Lita Ford. Beautiful. I've been listening to uh, a lot of Pogues lately, and I uh, uh, I do enjoy them. And I've, I've been watching The Wire as well. So I've got uh, about some body body of an American by uh, by the Pogues. Um, you know, my good friend, uh, sh- um, my good re- friend uh, Jim Savage. He um, actually had uh, um, uh, Shane McGowan in the pub at Foley's in Boston. And um, he said he's the only man who's ever fallen asleep in the middle of signing an autograph. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I went and saw, saw the pose at Horton Pavilion a few months ago. And Shane McGowan was indecipherable. Fairly much a dead man on, on legs. The lights that by the house and the yanks they were within When a tinker boys they hissed advice but were with a hen When we turned and shook as we had a look In a room where the dead man lay So big Jim Dwyer made his last trip to the shores where his father's lay And fifteen minutes later we had our first taste of whiskey There was uncles giving lectures on ancient Irish history The men all started telling jokes and the women they got frisky By five o'clock in the evening every bastard there was pesky Very well gone away, there's nothing left to say Farewell to New York City boys, the Boston NPA Took them out with a well on cloud And I often heard him say I'm a free-born man of the USA He fought the champ in Pittsburgh And he slashed him to the ground He took on tiny Tartanella And it only went one round He never had no time for rights For drink or dice or hard But he never threw a fight When a fight was right So they sent him to the war Very well gone away There's nothing left to say West Archer Joe and an Aaron Gold My love's in America the calling of the rosary, Spanish wine from far away. I'm a free-born man of the USA. Love you, I always did, I always will Fairly well gone away There's nothing left to say But say adieu to your eyes as blue As the words are in the bay To big Jim Dwyer, a man of war Who was often heard to say I'm a free-born man of the USA I'm a free-born man of the USA I'm a free-born man of the USA
Gable from Choir Boys, and you are listening to White Line Fever with Steve Mescourt.
this is Nash Cato and King Roser. We're Urge Overkill. You're listening to White, White Line, Line Fever. Okay, we're back. The pub's about to close. So we're going to talk about um, uh, Monday night. It was an old-fashioned draw, 14-all. Uh, it was um, Cronulla and Sydney Roosters, but it wasn't old-fashioned because there was actually gold at point. And uh, after the game, and he didn't say this in the press conference, but this is what Shane Flanagan said on Triple M. Oh, mate, I hate Golden Point. I just think the whole uh, concept of our game about being tough men and going forward and getting field position just goes out the window. Um, and it just goes, you know, I'm sure we're offside, they're offside, and it just becomes a scramble. The sooner we get rid of it, for me, the better. So that is pretty strong. Uh, current NRL coach saying, uh, I can't wait to see the end of Golden Point. I want to get rid of it. Um, it's funny um, because the first game was in 2003 uh, and on the ABC at the weekend, I'm, I don't want to keep prom- cross-promoting things that I'm involved in, but Ben Walker was on and he actually scored the winning points in the very first Golden Point game nine years ago and we're still debating it. It's kind of weird. Uh, yeah, look, uh, uh, quite, I, I really enjoyed yeah, hearing Ben Walker's take on it but because um, that would be the one thing he'd be remembered for. Uh but for, for mine, we are, we are still debating it. I, do, I just don't get what's wrong with the draw. I, I enjoy it. It breaks up the table. We don't have to rely on for and against as much to, to, to decide you know, premiership land position. I'm, I, I don't Thank understand you. why we have to debate these ridiculous issues like, you know, you, you can't have golden try because you can't have a situation where uh, a, 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 what is normally a, a, a point score... In, a, in the first 80 minutes, it's no longer a score in the extra time. You either keep the draw, you keep golden point, or you have nothing. You know, none of this reducing players. It's a gimmick. I know you've got a bit to say on the, the gimmick thing. And uh, But the old thing is, like, you know, the, as Brian Smith said, the referee puts his whistle in his pocket, doesn't he, during golden point? Well, absolutely. They, 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 they put it away and, and nothing ever gets... Uh, 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 done. And, but, you know, to be, to be fair... Um, Neither team deserved to win that game. Cronulla really shut. <laughs> Cronulla really shut. Well, Cronulla really shut up shop and took a lot of two points. The referee screwed up by not video referee screwed up by not giving that way. Graham tried. That was an awful decision. The Roosters, their lack of respect for the ball and the rules of rugby league is appalling. <laughs> so, uh, what there are, there are, there are matches where one point apiece is a deserving outcome. Yeah. I don't know what. Why people would be offended by that happening? I don't, I don't think it creates any extra drama having extra point. What it does is create a field goal fest. Uh, and is that a problem? I don't mind the field goal. I reckon the field goals don't do anything. I think people should be taking more field goals in more you know, prominent situations. I don't care if you if you're down by four. It's the last tackle and you're 35 metres out and there's 30 seconds to go before half time. Take a field goal. It could come in handy later in the game. There's not enough of that going on. But play it smart. But if I was going to go away from Golden Point, it would be go back to the draw, not to go to Golden Try or, or, or players going off. Your thought? Okay, here is, uh, yeah, you know, I did a column earlier this year about Golden Point. It's a gimmick, but rugby league is a gimmick. Rugby league is, uh, you know, getting rid of the breakaways was a gimmick. Uh, you know, uh, having tries go from three to four points was a gimmick. Uh, changing the number of points for field goals is a gimmick. Rugby league essentially is a gimmick. Um, so I don't I like draws but I don't have a problem with uh, I can't come up with a logical argument against Golden Point 
uh, aside from the fact that I know that um, what Flano's point is tonight is that you know as soon as Golden Point started, um, it was just a, a shootout. It was it might as well have a penalty shootout like soccer. So um, I got to say I'm ambivalent. I'm like if they get rid of it, the thing is, the problem we have is that we we, we don't want to go backwards, do we? Like one of the arguments is that oh there's not enough referees. Um, to have two referees in the NRL, so it's not so much a two referee system is bad. We don't have enough depth, so we shouldn't. That's why we keep having stuff ups. Um, now, I personally wouldn't care if we went backwards and got went back to one referee. I wouldn't care if we got rid of Golden Point. But you know, corporately, um, it's a bad look to backtrack, isn't it? You know, and it's kind of we're scared of backtracking, and uh, you know, I'm not sure we sh- should be scared of of that in those two instances, you know, maybe goal... But, you know, commercially, golden point makes more sense. So, basically, golden point equals dollars. No golden point equals fewer dollars. Um, I can't see it ever disappearing. Uh, well, what my question to you is, or a couple of points here, um, will the game ever go to the golden trial? I reckon that's the argument. I don't reckon that the argument these days is... No gold, like draw or golden point. I reckon we move beyond that. I reckon the argument is uh, golden point v golden try or, or other way to determine a game, and that, that to me is uh, uh, quite sad as to, to, to uh, where we're headed on that one. And I did have another point, but we are three dogs in. And I've completely forgotten one. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And, and <laughs> I was going to the, the last plug for the program is um, a new Twitter account for Rugby League Writers Association. It's double. RLWA underscore worldwide and you can complain about people uh, slurring more at the end of a podcast than they did at the start um, but um, you know as far as Golden Try is concerned um, I mean it's what you said earlier you've got to have the same rules otherwise it's not the same sport I mean, and, and, and I'm really concerned that if we have Golden Try that um, there's an imprimata great old word that Peter Flingo used to say once a week on radio, <laughs> imprimata, um, to foul, you know, to, to yep. commit fouls um, because you can't lose a game. You can be marched upfield, but you can't actually lose a game on a penalty try. So, again, I think you're playing with fire if you actually play with the rules of rugby league. It's, it's the players and coaches who've decided they're going to shoot for field goals every couple of minutes, every 30 seconds. Um, it's not the uh, rule makers. You know the rule makers. The rule makers have actually said, "Well, actually, we've got another ten minutes of rugby league. Whatever the hell you want to do in that ten minutes, you can do." Uh, and I think once we start, once the rules start being uh, the slave to the tactics, that's when you you get yourself in trouble. Anyway, yeah, I think we've reached the end of the program. Um, there's been episodes where we've had uh, seventeen guests, and they've been shorter on this uh, episode so thanks for joining us Nick and we'll finish these beers pleasure Steve anytime I look forward to hearing it next time I got a white line fever going down land down under going to turn around the corner way down yonder (laughs) and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and Dig Michael Monroe Sensory Overdrive, the album, the band. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.